Welcome to the 125th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look back at the past week of NBA action, and a discussion of NCAA basketball tournament title contenders. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. In NBA action, Patrick went 2-2 two two with his predictions. Similarly, Patrick went 2-2 two two in his NCAA basketball predictions, bringing him to 4-4 four four overall this weekend, and a 359-254 and overall record, which is a 58.6% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts? Well, uh, the one game I really didn't expect to lose was the game that I actually lost first, that being uh, Ohio State going on the road and beating Illinois. If you haven't seen it already, I, I, we actually already talked about this because it actually happened on Thursday, and I predicted an early game. Uh, but there was a funny ejection in this game, but other than that, uh, you're, that's all that happened. That was uh, super interesting on the Illinois side of things, other than the fact that uh, Ohio State got the win. But uh, other than that, um, Kentucky lost to Arkansas. I did predict that would happen. I thought one of the two top six teams in the SEC would go on the road and get the win, which is why I ended up picking Auburn. I just felt like no matter what, I'd be very surprised if if it wasn't one of those two out of Auburn or uh, Kentucky that didn't get a win. Actually, both of them lost, but uh, I didn't predict it that way. I did predict Auburn to win. I picked Kentucky to lose. Got the Kentucky pick right, got the Auburn pick wrong. Uh, although, honestly, Auburn really, really stayed close in that game, and they definitely could have won it. Uh, they just had some things that didn't go their way at the end. And then you have Baylor, who got the win over Kansas. That was another game I picked. Uh, and as I told you earlier in the week, if you pick four home teams, you're going to go 3-1 and one most of the time. And if you pick uh, one road team to win, you're either going 2-2 two and two or 4-0. and oh. I picked the 2-2 two and two or 4-0 and oh path this week, and it didn't work out. Does, does that mean that I'm going to go again with the uh, all-home teams model? Probably not, but honestly, depends on what games are next weekend. I will have to look, but uh, I don't have anything that I've uh, recognized too early, honestly. I haven't really checked yet, but in the NBA, uh, I picked all-home teams except for one. I thought that Joel Embiid was enough to beat the Timberwolves, and then out of the blue, they decided that uh, James Harden's hamstring is no longer hurt now that he's been traded. Uh, so, uh, then he came in and I was really thinking, oh, wow, this pick just got a lot easier. They're going to beat them by a lot of points. And, uh, yeah, that's what happened. I don't really know how to describe that game other than, uh, the Sixers won a lot to a little is what I'll say. Uh, but then you had the Jazz and the Mavericks. This was actually a really good game to watch. Actually, if you were a Mavericks fan, you had some fun this weekend, although uh, a very stressful one in one weekend for the Mavericks, but, they played a great game against the Warriors last weekend when or this weekend when they actually came back from 21 down to beat the Warriors. Uh, but before that, they were up by a little bit. They were down by a little bit. It was a really big. It was a really back and forth game between them and the Jazz. And the Jazz ended up taking the win, which is what I predicted. The Bulls lost at home to the Grizzlies. John Moran has been playing really, really well recently, as everybody already knows. And the Grizzlies as a team have been getting better and better. But the Bulls did lose this game, even though I had picked them. Uh, and then finally, you have the Nets and the Bucks. The Nets pulling out a game that was also a really, really good game, really fun to watch. Right at the end of the game, they barely pulled out the win, and that results in the Bucks uh, taking that loss and me getting uh, ending up with a two and two record this week. 
Yeah, well, all things considered, giving a number of upsets in NCAA basketball this weekend, two and two record isn't that bad. Well, as as we were just discussing, uh, all of those upsets though happened with uh, not very high, well, very high ranked teams, but playing very low ranked teams, with the exception of Baylor, which I did pick, and uh, and in Kentucky, which I also picked to happen. So uh, I did pick the upsets to happen. So it's no surprise that I got them right. And I looked at Gonzaga St. Mary's, and I was like. Even if St. Mary's has a chance to win, even if they do win, this is going to be one of those games that people come in expecting a blowout in Gonzaga's favor, so I might as well pick something closer. There were five ranked matchups. There were, there were four ranked matchups this weekend, if you include that Ohio State-Illinois game, so I decided to put that one in instead, and uh, going to be honest, had I picked Gonzaga-St. Mary's, I also still would have gotten that game wrong, and had I picked any of those games involving those top six teams, also would have gotten the rest of them wrong, so uh, it didn't really matter in the end. <laughs> All right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. Now let's turn our attention to our weekly review of NBA action, starting, as always, with the most impressive teams of the last week. We will start with the Denver Nuggets, who went 3-0 and uh, last week. I think they had one of the more, more packed schedules this week, too. I don't think I saw many other teams playing three games since the All-Star break. Uh, but those wins, two of them over Sacramento, one of them over Portland, obviously no losses. Uh, Denver just plays really, really well. If you've been looking at, uh, John Morant as the only guy who makes highlight plays this year, start looking at some Jokic highlights because he has been making plays all year long. Uh, some no look passes, some passes that looked like they were straight out of not even a video game out of a movie, frankly, because it looked like the camera angle caught the ball curving in midair the way Jokic was throwing some of his passes, uh, especially against Portland. Uh, but look, overall, they're fun to watch. Uh, Jokic is really fun to watch. They just signed Boogie Cousins for the rest of the year, which can only make a team more interesting if you think about it. Uh, but overall, like the way the Nuggets are playing, they've been playing well. They're going to keep playing well. The top, the top of the West, it, it feels like it gets better every day other than the fact that Chris Paul is now going to be out. But frankly, that would make it even better because now all those teams are going to be a little bit closer to each other and there's going to be less of a margin by the end of the year. When you look at the Suns, when you look at the Warriors, when you look at the Nuggets, when you look at the Grizzlies now even, and even when you look at the Jazz now that they have Donovan Mitchell back, I mean, those top five teams are all in one giant clump, and I didn't even mention the Mavericks who actually beat the Warriors this weekend, So, uh, and who played a really close game against the Jazz too. So uh, there's a lot of ways, you there are a lot of different ways you could go in the West, and there are a lot of great teams there, uh, and the Nuggets are definitely one of them. But let's move on from that. Talked about it a little bit. James Harden and the 76ers went 2-0. They beat New York, they beat Minnesota, and Harden was really, 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 really good in these two games, and I'll get to more of that later, but that, I don't know about you, because I know you probably didn't really watch those games, but that might be the quickest I've ever seen two guys who have never played with each other before fit together with ridiculous synergy. I mean, through the legs, they, they looked like they were playing like they've been playing since they were like five years old together. They were like high school teammates or something, uh, and they've been playing together for what a week. And all of a sudden, I mean, Embiid before the All Star break was trying hard and step back, and now Harden's passing through the legs to Embiid. And really, the most uh, the most crazy thing about this team is that I mean, by the way, they're also doing their press conferences together, which I find really funny. But the craziest thing about this to me is that. You can't double Joel Embiid anymore because if you double-team Joel Embiid, you're going to leave Harden open probably somewhere on the court. And if you don't leave Harden open, they have a lot of shooters on that team, especially Tyrese Maxey. Uh, Matisse Thibel, not particularly a great shooter, but a really great defender who they have on the floor a lot. Uh, you also have uh, Danny Green, obviously, who has that legacy of shooting and isn't necessarily in his prime anymore. 
Uh, but they and Forkin Korkmaz and George, George Niang, they have a lot of shooters that they that they're surrounding those guys with. And uh, then when you double Harden, then Embiid's probably going to be open somewhere. So good luck guarding that team. I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a lock for them to make for them to make the finals, for them to win the finals. But they are definitely one of the stronger contenders right now. But uh, let's move on from that. The Jazz two and zero this week beat Phoenix, beat Dallas. As I said, looking like one of the better teams right now. Uh, you beat Phoenix, you might end up on this list no matter who you are, uh, especially the way the Jazz played this week too, play, winning those games in close fashion, uh, really making themselves look good with how they're playing overall and the fact that, you know, they have a really, I mean, the Jazz are back to the identity that they've had, even without Joe Ingles, they know who their guys are. They, they, they're they giving the ball to Donovan Mitchell and they're letting Gobert guard anybody on the court and they're going to live and die by those two things happening. Uh, in the Dallas game, Rudy Gobert had a lot of great defensive possessions on Luka, although he might have fouled him a few of those possessions, but he had some blocks on him. He played him well, even on the perimeter a little bit, but then all of a sudden in the Suns game, you know, Devin Booker might've gotten a step back here or there off of Gobert, but the reality is when they want to, the Jazz know exactly where they need to go and where they have to go, and they have everything set up. They know what they're doing. They have no synergy problems. They're not really integrating anybody into their roster at all because they haven't made any trades, really. Uh, And frankly, I don't think they made any trades, Uh, but maybe made a few to get some bench guys. But they know who they are, and I think that's one of the strongest things that people underestimate is just knowing how you want to play and having that identity. That is something that is definitely true with the Jazz. They definitely know their identity, and they know how to play. But let's move on from that to a team who did make a big trade, but who's now really starting to impress me a lot. That team, the Pelicans. Uh, they actually have made some acquisitions recently, but man, CJ McCollum, again, just like Harden and Embiid, actually, CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram seem like they've been playing together for a while. Uh, I mean, maybe not. I I don't think they've demonstrated the synergy that Harden and Embiid have. And obviously as a team overall, let's not hold the Pelicans to the same standard as the 76ers. But the fact of the matter is the Pelicans are 25 and 36 on the year now. At some point this year, they were one and 12. After the 1-12 and 12 start, they've been 24-22. and 22. That means they've been above 500, a very average team, since their really, really terrible start. And now they've gotten even better getting C.J. McCollum. So you look at that team and you can actually see a world where they might even be able to beat the Lakers in the play-in again. I mean, they just beat the Lakers by 30 with the Lakers at home. They could easily beat the Lakers on the road... Or sorry, they they beat them with the Lakers at home. They could easily beat the Lakers when they are at home. I, I, I could honestly see a world where the Pelicans knock the Lakers out of the playoffs right in that play-in game, and the Lakers don't even make it to the actual playoff bracket. It's definitely a possibility. The way that game looked, I mean, it looks like it's going to happen, but uh, the matchup has to get there. And honestly, when LeBron gets into the playoffs, it's a whole different animal. I mean, let, let, let's be honest. LeBron just ascends to another level when he gets into the playoffs. Uh, and we have to see what happens when Anthony Davis is there. Maybe that helps him defensively. It definitely does. Uh, DeAndre Jordan threw a full-court pass out of bounds. And I know I'm talking about the Lakers a lot now, but well, I guess I'll transition to them soon. But uh, DeAndre Jordan threw a full-court pass straight out of bounds, and that's not going to happen anymore because he's getting released today. So uh, there will be some changes if the Pelicans have to play the Lakers again. But for right now... The Pelicans seem like they actually could be one of those teams who make it out of the play-in into the playoffs and maybe can even spring forward with that a little bit even more when they get Zion back, whether that's not, I mean, frankly, whether that's even this year or not, that could even help them in the future. So 
Uh, the Pelicans looking good right now in the direction of their franchise. I like what they have going. Uh, I like that they have CJ there for a while. They have Zion there for a while, obviously. So overall, I like what they have going. Uh, even Herb Jones has been really good. He's a dark horse rookie of the year candidate if he keeps playing the way he's been playing recently. Uh, so I like everything about the Pelicans, honestly. I don't think they're going to be a team that can win a first round game, but I don't think anybody below the sixth seed can win any of their first round matchups. But uh, overall, they're going to make the play in probably at this point. That's what it looks like. Okay, let's now move to the most disappointing teams of the last week and some familiar names on this list. Well, I said uh, I said just now that I was going to transition into them, so I stopped talking about it. Yes, DeAndre Jordan threw that full court pass. Yes, the Lakers got killed by New Orleans. They also lost to the Clippers, which they have made a... Uh, Common thing recently. Uh, I think it said. I think the stat is that this is their first time losing six games in a row, or sorry, the second time they've ever lost six games in a row to the Clippers is right now. The first time I think was in like 2011 or something or 2013 when the Clippers had Chris Paul and Blake Jordan and <laughs> Blake Jordan, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, and the Lakers had you know Robert Sacre and uh, Kobe. Maybe that might have even been the year Kobe was out with his. Uh, with his various injuries. I mean, you never know what was going on back in 2013, 2014 with the Lakers. Uh, but look, that is a really bad sign. But the fact of the matter is, the Lakers just overall, it doesn't even matter if they're playing the Clippers, and frankly, even the Clippers G League team, because Paul George and Kawhi aren't even playing. Uh, but if the Lakers can't beat Reggie Jackson, how are they going to win a playoff game? Uh, that That's the real question that I think anybody can ask. And I don't think there are many people who still think the Lakers can contend. I don't even see them pu- pushing a series to six games in the first round, the way they're, the way the matchup looks right now. If they maybe played a Dallas or a Denver, I could see them maybe making a six-game series out of it. But the problem is they're not going to play a Dallas or a Denver. They're going to play the Suns or the Warriors because those are the current two top seeds. And even if they played Memphis, Memphis has been really, really good against the Lakers this year. They've beaten them a few times. I mean, Desmond Bain was getting under the skin of LeBron the last time they played them. So, and that was in LA too. So, I mean, I don't really see where the Lakers can go this year other than losing a play-in game or maybe winning one and then not making it into the real bracket or just making it into the play-in and losing immediately in the first round after. I don't know where they can go. It's probably not very far is the answer. Uh, But let's move on from that to a team who is so bad right now that I told you last podcast I'd be talking about them again, that's the New York Knicks. I told you they'd be on this list next week so I could talk about them more. Well, here I am. They're 0-2 this week. They were 0-3 last week. I realized that we didn't talk about last week on the podcast, so uh, I was going to say that, uh, you know, they just really have not played well all year. They haven't been good. They they just haven't been doing anything right. And uh, they, they just, I don't... I don't even know what's wrong with them. They, I, it's just every single time I turn I turn a game on when the Knicks are on, they're just losing. It, it, it's that simple. And they'll make games close, and then they'll make games, or then they'll have games where they start out as close, and then they just somehow end up losing by like 20 or 30. Then they have games where they're leading by 20 when they lose. And that happened to them, I think, two times in January or something like that. And that was the first time I think that had ever happened. Uh, but look... Overall, I don't really know where the Knicks go from here. They're kind of in the same position as the Lakers, except for the Lakers are at least in the play-in bracket. I don't think the Knicks are making the play-in. I, I honestly don't think they're going to. And after the year they had last year to have this terrible of a year to follow it up, it, it's just really a disappointment from one of the league's better overall franchises. But clearly, we don't have the same people running that team anymore. And also not the same stars uh, as, obviously, 
the Patrick Ewing type of days. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems with the Knicks, and it's not just management. It's not just players. It's really a combination of all things. Uh, but overall, Knicks had a great year last year. They might be a complete one-year wonder. But uh, let's move on from the Knicks to a team who has actually had decent success this year. And, uh, you know, they're, they're on this list because they kind of need to be. Uh, they're the best team that went 0-2 last week. The Toronto Raptors, they lost to Atlanta. They lost to Charlotte. These are decent teams, but I will say, I, I am a little bit disappointed in the fact that the that the Raptors can't beat teams that are kind of in their, I guess, area of, of the standings. I feel like these are games that they need to win. They get on hot streaks. They might play some bad teams and win a lot of those games. They might get some upsets here and there, but I, I feel like the difference between the Raptors and being safely out of the play-in game is just beating these types of teams at least one out of two. Like, at least being one and one in this week is going to go a long way if you do that for every one of these two-game stretches for the rest of the year, but they're not doing that so far. So, look, they need to pick it up. They need to do that, but I'm not going to criticize them too much because they've still had a great year and they've been well above their expectations. So, uh, good year for the Raptors. Just a little bit of a down week. But let's move on from the Raptors to the Washington Wizards. Man, Kyle Kuzma was one of the league's scoring leaders this week, and they went 0-2. I mean, come on, you can't waste Kyle Kuzma's good weeks like that. But I'm really disappointed with the fact that I actually don't like that they decided that uh, the in the way that the East is right now, they just decided that they weren't good enough to contend with who they had, and they needed to just deal everybody away. I mean, part of that is the fact that, you know, Bradley Beal is out, and he has been out, and he will be out for... I think the rest of the season, even at this point, or at least a, a majority of the rest of the season. Although the end of the year has, has snuck up on us so quickly that I'll see an injury that says out six weeks and be like, eh, okay, he'll be back by the end of the year. And I'm realizing it is the end of the year. It's There is no more out for six weeks and back before the end. It is the end. Uh, but, you know, I, the Wizards, I think, there, there's not really much to say about them either. They're fourth on this list for a reason. When you have a short week, it's hard to pick teams to be on the most disappointing list. But I think it's enough to end that and move on to my player of the week, who I mentioned earlier. And I said I wouldn't go into his stats a little bit more because of the fact that I was going to go into them now. So here we go. James Harden for Philadelphia. 28 points. By the way, that still sounds weird in my head. Uh, 28 points, 14 assists, 9 rebounds per game this week. And not only that, he did it on 58% shooting from the field, 57% from three, and nine and a half free throws per game. I will tell you one thing. If you don't like watching free throws, do not go and watch a Sixers game because he was averaging nine and a half free throws per game and Joel Embiid shot 27 in last game alone. So uh, don't watch the Sixers if you don't want to watch a lot of free throws. If you like free throws, if you like fouls, if you like drawing fouls, if you think there's an art to drawing fouls, then definitely watch them. Uh, Although I don't think that's many people out there, but I will say, I already talked about it a little bit, but James Harden has fit in so well with this team so early and, uh, Look, there's not much to say about it. I mean, he's just been really, really good since he's been there. And obviously, it's only been two games. It's been a small sample size. But since we're talking about the player of the last week, easily, it's James Harden. Well, that'll do it for our look back at the NBA for the week. Um, let's now transition over to a little college basketball. Um, as we've discussed in the past, Ken Palm ratings have been a good way to identify potential NCAA basketball champions as 18 of the last 20 NCAA men's basketball champions have been in top 20 in both Ken Palm offensive and defensive efficiency at the end of the tournament. So with that in mind, let's take a look at this year's NCAA title contenders according to that Ken Palm formula. 
starting with Gonzaga, number one overall in uh, Ken Baum, number one in the AP poll, I believe still number one in the coaches poll, although I'll admit I haven't checked because this poll is just, uh, well, this poll doesn't really mean much because it's based off of a week where pretty much everybody lost. Um, but Gonzaga, number one overall in Ken Palm, number two in offense, number six in defense. You have Kentucky, who's number two overall, number three in offense, number 20 in defense. You have Baylor, who's number three overall, eight in offense, 13 in defense. Arizona, number four overall, 10 in offense, 12 in defense. Houston, number six overall, 11 in offense, 15 in defense. Auburn, number eight overall, 18 in offense, number eight in defense. And UCLA, number 10 overall, probably the most balanced team other than Arizona here, number 15 in offense, number 10 in defense. Okay, so out of those teams, and only those teams, if the NCAA tournament started tomorrow, who would you pick to win the national championship and why? Well, I will say that uh, we have seven teams here. I think everybody thinks that the group of teams who can win it all goes at least eight, nine, or ten deep. And honestly, these are probably not the top seven they'd include, to be quite honest. I don't don't think many people are still thinking about Houston as necessarily a title contender the way that, uh, you know, it happens every year. They just play in a conference where they don't get the recognition they deserve because they never make it to number one overall like Gonzaga and kind of stay there and at least... You know, Gonzaga doesn't really get recognition for being that good, but they get, at least get recognition for being overrated. D- Houston doesn't even get <laughs> get that courtesy. Uh, well, not really much of a courtesy, but they don't even get that recognition. So overall, uh, not not very. Houston's not very talked about, but uh, overall, I, I think Houston does have a legitimate chance. I think last year's Final Four run proves that they are a team that can actually make it that far. And they can be like a Gonzaga, and they're not even in a weak, weak conference. They're in a decent conference. The American isn't bad. I mean, the WCC this year is actually better, but normally the American is probably better. However, I will say, if I had to pick a team right now, I'm going with Kentucky. Kentucky is hot right now. Uh, Yeah, they lost to Arkansas, but I mean, even I predicted that, and the fact of the matter is, that was after Ty Ty Washington and Xavier Wheeler had been out for two games each. Uh, at the same time. And in that time, Kentucky won both of their games, which seems almost impossible uh, with your starting backcourt, with the entire part of your starting backcourt being out. Uh, Yet somehow they managed it uh, to beat Alabama and to beat LSU, who, by the way, are quality teams. I mean, the way that I see it, I see Kentucky beating a five seed and a seven seed. Granted, it was at home, but five seed and a seven seed without without your two starting guards... It doesn't really. I don't think there are many teams who can do that. I don't think there are many teams who could beat five a five seed and a seven seed in a row to begin with. I definitely don't think there are many that can do it when they're injured, and then when they get back healthy again. Obviously, yeah, they lost to to Arkansas, but outside of Kentucky, Arkansas might actually be one of the hottest teams uh, right now. So it's really hard to really blame them for that loss. And I think most people kind of saw it coming, uh, even with Ty Ty Washington Xavier Wheeler playing again. But the real reason why is there's no stopping Oscar Sheepway. I think Jalen Williams might have been one of the few guys in the country uh, for Arkansas who has a real chance of stopping, containing, I don't know what words you want to use for containing is probably the best, Oscar Sheepway. And Oscar Sheepway had, I think, had scored or assisted on Kentucky's first nine or first 13 points of the game, scoring nine of them. And overall... You can say that, you know, Kentucky lost the game and he didn't have his normal game. He had 30 points and 18 rebounds on 13 of 21 shooting. All they need is for everybody else on the team to be decent. I mean, it's not that hard of a formula for them. And the thing that people also don't realize about this is eight of the 18 rebounds were offensive. 
they get more second chance opportunities than I feel like anybody else in the country. I think you can back that up with stats too. They got 16 offensive rebounds against Arkansas. They still lost, but the thing is, there aren't teams who can beat other teams in the country that are as good as Kentucky when they also give up 16 rebounds or 16 offensive rebounds. And Kentucky doesn't just do this to any team. They do this to every team. They don't do this to just Arkansas. They don't do this to just LSU. Those teams don't. It's not that those teams have problems with their big guys. Frankly, Jalen Williams is probably one of the better bigs in the SEC. They do this to everybody. They always get offensive rebounds. They always get extra possessions. They will shoot 45%. You will shoot 50 and they'll probably score more than you, even if you took the exact same... <laughs> Uh, even if you took the exact same uh, percentage of, if you took a lower percentage of shots for them than you, they're going to get 10 extra opportunities and that's going to make all the difference in the world. And uh, it's just so hard to guard them. It's so hard to keep them off the offensive glass. You start fouling them too, and you're not even going to realize it. So Kentucky just has all of the things that I think you need. And also Kellen Grady can shoot pretty much all their guards can shoot pretty well. Uh, and if Xavier Wheeler can really get his shot knocked down really every once in a while and really make himself a threat, it's going to be impossible to beat Kentucky because people will play off of him to keep Shibway tight in the post. If you can't play off of him, you probably can't guard Kentucky whatsoever. And I think just overall, they also just have too much talent and they have too many different strengths and it's just very, very hard to beat them. And I think they can key in on defense even more and not even be number three in offense and number 20 in defense. They could be probably a top 10 defensive team if they start to lock in more on it. And I think they will do that at the end of the season because they're a very well-coached team. And by the end of the year, they're going to be pretty high up in both those metrics and maybe even close to number one overall because, I mean, they're already number two, right? Yeah, well, um, unlike your in-depth analysis, mine's going to be very superficial. Um, first of all, a couple principles. A, the Pac-12 stinks, so UCLA's uh, offensive and defensive efficiency that, ratings are overstated. Well, they are, but it is adjusted to a point to opponents, yeah, though. But, uh, uh, but I, also, I do think, though, that you, you are right that I don't really and, see and, a Pac-12 team winning right now. It's not really the yeah. greatest conference. And um, also, it's it, I'm going to go with the premise: it's very hard to repeat as a national champion. It's very hard to repeat getting to the Final Four. Things have to break your way. UCLA had all the breaks go their way last year, so for that reason and the reason that I don't believe their competition is great, they're out. Similarly. Houston, same thing. I think their stats are a little overinflated because of their lack of good competition. They made it last year. They're out. Baylor is not going to repeat, so they're out. Uh, that leaves me with Auburn, and I'm not going to pick Kentucky because you picked them. Arizona, uh, who I don't think is – I think they're, they're, they're good. I don't think they're battle-tested enough to win it all. I wouldn't be surprised if they made the Final Four. And Gonzaga, I'm going to go with Auburn. Uh, I think oftentimes March Madness is when one player can just dominate a game. Um, and Auburn has that capability, but they got a couple really, really talented players. So um, I'm going to go with Auburn because they didn't win it last year, and they played a very tough conference, battle-tested with both depth and some young talent, probably the best player in the country whose name I can't recall right now. Jabari Smith Jr. is the much. one you're talking about. Totally um, talking, talking, so it would come to me, and I knew you'd give me the assist. Well, you. you probably could have done your homework and known that, but yeah, it's clear I that mean, you didn't do your But it's clear that you didn't do your homework because... If you've watched Auburn at any point this year, there is one thing that has stuck with this team forever. Every single time they get in a close game late, it's not that their guards are making stupid decisions, but you're right. One player can carry a team. They have that player, and somehow at the end of the games, they repeatedly don't give him the ball. And the fact that they haven't realized it yet, 
indicates to me that they're probably never going to realize it because they've had enough close games, they've had enough losses to really figure out who they need to be and who they are and who they need to run everything through. Granted, Walker Kessler's shot blocking ability, I, I think there are a few teams that, uh, a few things that really distinguish uh, tournament, really final four teams. You got to be able to shoot the three, you got to be able to rim protect, and you got to have that one guy who can also get you a bucket at any time you want when, when there's a run that someone's about to go on. The two problems that I have with Auburn are that, and also point guards and centers pretty much dominate March Madness. I don't really like their guard play, and they have a lot of small guards too, which was kind of Michigan's problem last year. Uh, they have a lot of small guards, Wendell Green, Zeb Jasper, KD Johnson, and then the other problem is they are a 30% three-point shooting team. They need to shoot the ball a lot better if they're going to win a title, whereas a team like Kentucky, A, has a shooter, that being Kellen Grady, who's probably the best shooter in the nation, honestly, uh, but also... They also have a lot of guys who, in between that, can shoot. And I think that overall, that is the reason why I pick Kentucky over Auburn. Auburn, honestly, if they hadn't shown these weaknesses and these losses, I would still have them as my title pick. I was on them as a Final Four pick when they were like 13th or 15th ranked. I knew they were this good. But now that it's gotten later, people have tried to figure them out, and I think they have. Okay, well, so if not Auburn and uh, not Kentucky... um... You got anybody else that you want to talk about that isn't in that uh, Ken Palm deemed contenders list? Well, I'll go to some honorable mentions. Some of them for how good they are in one category. Some of them for really being close to the top 20 in both. We'll start with Duke, who's number five overall, number six offense, number 22 defense. We have Kansas, number seven overall. They're number four on offense and number 34 on defense. Texas Tech, number nine overall, number 48 on offense, but number two on defense. Tennessee, number 11 overall, pretty similar to Texas Tech, number 40 on offense, but number three in defense. That defense was the reason they beat Auburn this weekend. Then you have Villanova, number 12 overall, number seven on offense, number 29 on defense. Uh, you have Purdue, number 13 overall, number one in offense, 105 on defense. Uh, I can't even say that with a straight face. Um, Texas, number 14 overall, 27 in offense, 17th in defense. You have Illinois, number 16 overall, 16 on offense, 35 in defense. UConn, number 19 overall, number 21 on offense, uh, number 32 on defense. And then you have San Diego State, who is really on the bubble right now. But if you're looking at a team that you don't want to play as a four or five in the first round, it would be them. Number 165 in offense, yes. But number one in defense, we have Texas Tech, we have Tennessee. We have very, very defensive-focused teams all around college basketball this year. And yet they're still at the top of the mix. And they have been like that for a very, very long time. Uh, and it has stayed that way for a reason. But if I were to pick any of those teams, I got to go with Kansas. And the reason why is because I can really see them doing exactly what Baylor did last year. And by the way, I still think Baylor is better than Kansas. But if we're talking about only out of the honorable mentions, I'm going to put Kansas first because of the fact that they really have the same mold as Baylor. And, you know, Baylor didn't Baylor wasn't even close to the top 20 going into the tournament last year. They ended two in offense and 21 in defense. Kansas is going to start at maybe, let's say, let's say best case scenario, number four on offense, and let's say number 30 on defense. If they play a good enough tournament on defense, they will end up in the top 20. And the fact of the matter is, they're barely outside of the top 20 on defense. They have the quality and the and the players to get to top 20 on defense. And if they do, and if they play like a top 20 team on defense, they might not even end up as with that, with that metric at the end of the year, but they might be playing like one. And that's what I really see in Kansas. The other team I see is Duke, because as you said, there is the possibility of the one guy carrying a team. Uh, Paolo Bancaro can do that just as well as Jabari Smith can. 
and Duke also has great guard play, and Mark Williams is also a great shot blocker. I mean, really, they have a very, 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 very similar build uh, to Auburn, and the only difference is Duke is a better offensive team overall. Auburn is a better defensive team overall. Uh, But really, I I think that Duke is definitely kind of in that category where, I mean, the one problem with Duke is it's almost like every single year, everybody just has this giant target on Duke's back. They could be a they could be a 10 seed and the seven seed would be thinking that this is the final four game that they're playing just because they're playing against Duke. The name carries so much weight to it that I don't know if the pressure is going to be too much for freshmen. I, I think that's my only problem that I have with Duke because Auburn's roster is more experienced. It has a lot of uh, a lot of experience. It has some transfers on it. More, more than new players. I mean, Walker Kessler is a new player there, but he transferred from North Carolina. He's been in the tournament already. Whereas you have Jabari Smith is really the only real freshman that gets significant minutes on that team that's actually a freshman. Some of them are, a lot of them are newcomers to the team, but not many of them are freshmen. And then my other two dark horses, I'm going to go with teams in the Big East because I think that conference has been criminally underrated this year. Uh, UConn could easily make the top 20 in both of these categories by the end of the year. It's really possible. I mean, I just said Kansas could, and UConn's ranked higher in defense at least, and 21st in offense, which is, I mean, that could change by someone losing tonight. But um, I think UConn in a tournament where, first of all, doesn't it feel like every single time there's a tournament where there's a Cinderella story, UConn is the one who actually wins the tournament? I feel like that's a thing. I know you're nodding your head over there, so it seems like you've affirmed that. But also... I really think that this year, when we talk about having eight or ten championship contenders, and we talk about a year that, quote-unquote, feels so wide open, and the top six teams all losing on one day, how could there not be, how could this be a year where a one seed runs the table and wins the tournament? It just doesn't seem right to me that in this kind of a year, this crazy of a year, a team that's going to be a predictable team is going to win the tournament. So I'm putting my money on UConn just because... They might not end up even as a four. They, right now, they're on the the verge of a four or a five, on the high on the high five end, low four end. If they're a five seed or a four seed, I mean, Auburn made the final four a few years ago as a five. It is not hard to make the final four as a five. Your biggest challenge is in the Sweet Sixteen against the one seed that you're going to play, and then from there, it's just whoever is hot that you're going to be playing in the, in the rest of the year. The most talented team you're going to play is in the Sweet Sixteen. If you made it through the first weekend. Everything from then on is really just who knows, right? I mean, I think overall you don't see a lot. I mean, obviously there are certain seeds who have never even made it close to the Final Four, but you have a Loyola Chicago where they just catch fire at the right time. They have two lucky wins in the first weekend where they get it on buzzer beaters, and then all of a sudden the next two games they actually play good enough to not even need to rely on the buzzer beaters to win, right? So I think UConn could definitely make that run from a five seed. And then who wins championships a lot? Who's been in the national championship a lot recently? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's Villanova. Number seven in offense and number 29 in defense. That team can get a lot better on defense. They've had some of their best defensive players injured, that being Charlie Moore. They can get better, or sorry, Justin Moore. They can get better. They will be better. They will get better on defense for sure by the end of the year. And all of a sudden, you'll see that Villanova will probably be in that top 20 in both list. And then I really think they can start to make a run in it. Uh, But they all have their own reasons. I think UConn really can just vary their style to whoever they're playing. My one issue that I see with a team like Texas Tech, a team like Tennessee, they're so dependent on their defense to be good that if some team figures out, by the way, not even if some team figures out their defense, if they run into Auburn and Jabari Smith dropped 35 points in the first game of the weekend, he'll kill them alone. They don't even need to figure out offense. They just need one guy. And I think the one problem with the defensive teams in the tournament is that if you don't have good enough offense, 
it, it feels like Texas Tech every game scores 70 points, like almost on the dot. And it's either that their defense holds the other team to just under that, a lot under that, or or they don't hold the team under 70, and it's just like an automatic loss for them. I feel like there are multiple teams who I can pick that can score 70 on that defense. Uh, Kansas wasn't able to do it earlier in the year, but I think they certainly can if they have the right guy, if they have Ochai and a lot of other players going. So that's my that's my problem that I have with Tennessee uh, and Texas Tech. And then Purdue, I don't think we'll ever see a team that's as bad as Purdue is on defense, no matter how good they are on offense, win the tournament. It's just, it's just almost impossible. I, I think they're really one of the teams that could be upset super, super early if they run into the wrong matchup. Because as long as a team can guard or at least kind of neutralize Zach Eady and Travion Williams, their defense is so bad anybody can run through it. I mean, San Diego State, frankly, could do a good enough job on offense to get through that game. I mean, we saw Michigan put up 82 on them and then hold them to 58. If you play defense that's good enough and you have a big guy, I can see Kentucky as one of those teams. It's really, really hard for Purdue to beat teams like that. You saw it this weekend with Marcus Bingham and Julius Marble holding Zach Eady. And, I mean, Zach Eady had 25 points, but other than Eady, pretty much no one did anything. So overall, I think those are the weaknesses that you see in a lot of those teams. That's why I like the teams that are balanced, but that are balanced-ish and at least have top 35. De- I think top 35 is as low as I'll go with a title contender. And as you can see here, I picked 32 in defense, 29 in defense, 34 in defense, and 22 in defense. And I also think the defense can really get better at the end of the year when your players start to buy into the defensive identity and they say, hey, you got to be top 20 in offense and defense. Let's get better on defense. If you know how to play offense, you know how to play offense. And when you start playing better defense, it actually leads to even more offense. So overall, I like the teams who are just outside the top 20 on defense and already in it on offense. That's why I picked those teams. Well, you left out one team that I would talk about from that list, and that's Illinois. Right, and I said I, the lowest I would go is 35. They're a little bit too close to that border, and also... They're 35. They are 35, but I said my border is I will only go to 35. So uh, 34 might be where it stops with me with Kansas. And the other thing is, I see Kansas as a better version of Illinois, with the only difference being the fact that Illinois has Kofi Coburn and Kansas has David McCormick, and Bill Self has this uh, love-hate relationship with David McCormick who will sometimes just bench him for... I mean, seemingly no reason, but if you're probably if you're an actual coach, you probably know the reason why he's benching him, and I, I I can't speak to it, and he knows why he's benching him, but and it's not necessarily benching, but there are just certain points where he'll just kind of leave him on the sidelines. He'll start every game, and then all of a sudden, one game he'll just not start, or the game after that he'll just play like five minutes to start the game. He won't play him for the rest of the first half. It really just depends on how the game is going. Uh, but I, I really think that the only thing that could stop. Kansas, or the only thing that separates Kansas and Illinois is that they play slightly different in terms of their style, but I I like Kansas' versatility a lot more than Illinois. I think if you have a team that can play good defense on guards, uh, Illinois, and has a decent center, Illinois is kind of screwed, and I think there are many teams who can do that. Okay, well, that wraps up our uh, look at Ken Palm's impact, potentially, on the NCAA Tournament Champion this year. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, March 4th where we will have our weekly in-depth analysis of college basketball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, and his next bracket, which will be posted tomorrow. All that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.